Welcome to the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm Sam Marks. And I'm Johnny FD. We're self-made entrepreneurs who invest our own money and use modern technology to invest like a boss. Join us each week for exclusive interviews with our network of modern investors, business owners, and multimillionaires to discover new ways to invest our hard-earned cash. Hey, everyone. This is Johnny, and welcome to episode 30 of the Invest Like a Boss podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Sam Marks. Hey, buddy. Hey, Johnny. I'm really excited for this episode, man. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, well, happy uh, 30th episode. That's a big deal. Gosh, dude, it's been going on almost a year now. And um, we're going to get into our investment portfolios. But as much as we've learned this year, my investments have been so far, I would say, not very good. But I'm very excited about next year, some new plans in place. How about you? Okay. Yeah, I like it. I, I think mine have actually done very well. I have taken screenshots and I have all my accounts open. So we're going to go over them live on air to see how my last year was. But I'm more of the kind of buy and hold type of guy, uh, where I think, Sam, you're more excited about trying new things and tweaking things. So we can kind of compare to see how all this ended up working out. Yeah, I'm excited. And as Johnny said, this is episode 30. Lots of fun we've had. And guys, thanks so much for your support and all your feedback, um, your reviews and everything. Please let us know what we can do as we progress Really looking forward to crossing episode 50 and then onward to 100. Woo. And don't worry, guys. I know a lot of people have been asking for us to do a networking episode. We'll have that in the books uh, in the near future, either here on Invest Like a Boss or maybe on Travel Like a Boss podcast. So what we're going to do on this episode is Johnny and I have both selected five of our investments. And what we're going to do is we're going to go back and forth and review the performance of each. I think it's going to be a really valuable episode, not only for the audience, but for both you and I just to, to look at each other's and also to get a, um, a snapshot of, of how we did this year and a few, few of the different inv- investments we put to work. Yeah, sure. So I'll go ahead and start with my new favorite investment, one that I discovered here on this podcast, actually after listening to the interview that you had with the founder of Pier Street. Uh, mm-hmm. I now I started putting in a couple grand a month. I, I've been very, very bullish on this. And my total account value is now worth... Okay, let, well, let me take a look to see how much I've put in and how much I've actually earned. But I think I've put in now about... I My account total is worth $40,000. So I think I put in $40,000 and I've made about 500 something dollars from just the interest payments so far. And it's really only been like three like three months or so. So that I'm really excited about because I I remember you telling me about like getting these uh these checks in the you know, I mean not in the mail, but in the email, I guess, kind of saying you've gotten paid. And it's a nice mm-hmm. feeling, right? Yeah, I have to say uh, I was kind of envious that you picked Pier Street to review because I wanted to review it too. But I mean more or less our accounts are are pretty much the same. And this is, I would say this year, like you said, this is my favorite new investment. It's uh, it's very consistent. It seems very stable and secure, unlike another uh, another investment we'll review. But I'm looking at some of the things that the investments you have. It looks like you're averaging somewhere around like eight and a half percent. And yeah, it's like the 15th of each month and sometimes a couple of other times sporadically throughout the month you get payments. And you know, it's, it's basically just cash in the bank. Yeah, I like it. So last month I made, let's see, $189 in interest. Uh, and what's cool is I've actually gotten my principal back on a few, uh, of these, of these loans, which I actually didn't really want to happen because I'd rather have right. it kind of sit in there and get, uh, you know, collect interest. But what happens is sometimes people just pay it off early for whatever reason. And 
I get all my money back. So, you know, really no loss to me, except for now it might sit in there for, you know, a few weeks to before we can auto invest again. So that is if I have one knock on it, it's it's that. And that's happened to me probably each month because I, I have at any given time, I would say 30 different loans out extended through that. So every month I'm getting I'm getting like one back in full. And if I have any knocks on it, it's that because it is kind of a pain. If you have it set to auto investment, it's usually deployed within that first week. Uh, but I would think there should be. I actually emailed them about that, and I was like, "Is there any type of penalty if they pay it back early?" Because a lot of times on loans, if you pay it back early, you you still have to pay a certain amount of interest. But they said that's not really standard in in the industry. But that would be a definitely a bonus for the future if the loans paid back early to have some type of you know, extra bonus as, as the lender, because you do then have to redeploy that investment, which kind of sucks. Yeah. I, I think maybe also our auto invest is maybe set a little bit too, you know, too much in our favor, where we want like, you know, like, yeah. I, I don't know. What is your set at right now? Cause I'm, it I'm was set really, yeah. yeah, it was set really aggressively, like in terms of what I wanted out of it, which was like plus 9%, you know, in under one month. I'm sorry, under one year one plus nine yeah. percent returns, right? Uh, so, so I have because of that exact reason we we're just talking about. I've loosened it up. I think now it's like plus seven percent, uh, and I've even extended the, the duration to like twenty four months. Oh wow! There's okay. some really good. There's some really good ones that go out like twenty four months. Um, I'm okay with that for a portion of my money. I wouldn't want all of my money in it, but yeah. So I currently have mine. At nine percent plus interest rate, so I want nine percent or more interest. A seventy percent loan to value ratio, which means they have to have at least thirty percent kind of I don't want to say down payment, but like thirty percent skin in the game, and then up to twelve yeah. months because I do want my money back within a year. But I think if I started having a lot of money just sitting there and not getting fulfilled, the things I would change is probably the first thing I would change is my my LTV, my loan to value to seventy five percent because twenty five percent in you know in the game to me would be good enough. It's like having a twenty five percent down deposit. The next thing I would probably change is I'll lower my interest rate probably to eight percent. But to be honest, even seven, you know, even seven percent is okay. Like it's it's way better than what we would get anywhere else. I don't know if I would ever go up to twenty four months, uh, but that would be the third thing that I would change. Um, or actually, there's a fourth option that a lot of people don't even think about is instead of putting a thousand dollars, which is the the minimum into each loan, I could actually just put in more. So I would have slightly less diversification. But every time a deal would pop up, I would put more money into it. Yeah, so I tr- I did that as well on my account. So in one loan, I really liked. I put in fifteen thousand dollars, and then three weeks later, the loan got paid back in full. And I'm like, damn it! Like I really liked that loan, and then I had to take that fifteen grand and split it into say like two thousand dollar chunks, like you've done. And then it took you know two weeks to redeploy that money, which was kind of you know that was that was the pain in the butt. But but overall, I would say this this is like. I would say this is my favorite investment of this year. Yeah. So I think the reason why I like it so much, and if you guys don't know anything about it, take a listen to episode 13, which is uh, with the co-founder, uh, or is he the founder? Brett Crosby? Founder. Yeah, Brett Crosby. The founder. Yeah. yeah. I know. I think it was after listening to the episode and looking, you know, signing up for it and going through it, I realized how easy and simple it is. And I, I think that's what I liked about it the most um, is to be honest, yep. you know, I've been I've been so busy with my my other actual businesses that I haven't had that much time to dive in deep like Sam has. So I've just kind of wanted something that I can just set and forget, and Pure Street has been that for me. Trying to say I'm not busy, Johnny. You think I just sit around in pajama uh, pants all day and sit margaritas yeah. in Mexico? 
is is that what you're doing right now? <laughs> well, it's only 10 o'clock in the morning my time, but I was having margaritas last night till about 3 a.m. So technically, and, I was drinking margaritas in the morning. And you are in Mexico right now? I am in Mexico. <laughs> are you still in your pajama <laughs> pants? I am in my pajama pants. See, there you go. <laughs> they're, they're my pajama pants from Thailand. I take them with me everywhere. Okay. I like it. I actually just got done with the f- my I guess the first six figure sushi meetup, uh, which is this little group I put together here in Chiang Mai, where I've been wanting to introduce all the kind of big ballers in Chiang Mai to each other because you know normally there's a lot of people who are bootstrapping and starting up, and it's fun to you know to network and hang out with them. But sometimes I think it's good to have like the big boss talk as well. So I started this this event. I don't know how long how often I'm going to do it. Maybe you know, every other week or something called Six Figure Sushi, where I invite everyone I know who's making 100 grand or more online to sushi. And then they can invite any of their friends that they vouch for that is also, you know, crushing it and, and making six figures more. So we've been out That's having sushi, funny. sake, yeah. and whiskey. And, and sushi in Chiang Mai costs like $3 a roll. So it's <laughs> it's kind of like an interesting... <laughs> It seems like glamorous, but it's not. Well, there actually there's some good sushi places in Chiang Mai. They're nice. They're just they're just good value, I'd say. It's an amazing value. Uh, so there were eight of us, and we had tons of sushi. I was stuffed. I mean, like uh, you know, like I don't know, salmon rolls and tuna rolls and um, you know, avocado rolls and all you know, all this stuff. And we had beer. We had sake, and the bill came out to be sixty bucks. Is it's insane. I'm wondering who's flying in sushi like to Chiang Mai, like on a you know on a flight from Japan or something. But I guess you know there is a market there because there's so many Japanese people in Chiang Mai as well. There's a ton of Japanese people, and I think Thai people just really like sushi, so th- th- there's always kind of a place for that. But anyways, back to uh, the investing. Yeah. So wait, on Pier Street, they just raised a huge round. I forgot about that news, and it was led by Marcus. Uh, what was his name? Mark Anderson, like the one of the most famous Silicon Valley VCs. Okay, so nice. congratulations to Pierce Street and Brett Crosby, just for everyone who did not listen to that other episode, he created Urchin, which became Google Analytics. So yeah. that was one of the original points that we like, we heard about Pierce Street, we heard about Brett Crosby and what he had done in the past. We're like, dude, there's got to be some really sick technology yep. behind Pierce Street. This guy created Google Analytics, which we all use. I think everyone I know uses it. So and, and I've always so kudos wondered to them. Why, Yeah, I've always wondered why it was called Urchin in the back end and now I know. There you go, buddy. Yeah. So I'm taking a look at my screenshot. You know what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna post both these screenshots of my account itself as well as kind of like a chart of my performance. But basically mm-hmm. it looks like September which was exactly three months ago, was my first month. And that month I made, let's see how much it says. I don't know if it's going to show, but you know, whatever it was, October. It starts a little bit lower. Yeah. It starts kind of slow because it, because the loans have to get vested and then you don't get paid like the first couple of weeks, right? You get paid after first 30 days or something. Yeah. Here it goes. It refreshed. So September, I made total uh, $81. Uh, in, in my total earnings to date. Then October, it was 270 total. So that's the 80, 81 minus 270, whatever that is, by 190. Uh, and then in November, my total is now 553, which means I've made, I don't know. It, just, it basically just keeps going up, which is awesome. Right. <laughs> which I, I like. Yeah. So in three months, I've made 
five hundred bucks in just interest, which is insane. I, like like that is such a nice figure. And it's cash in your bank. Yeah. All right. So we we both love Pier Street. I'm gonna go into my first one. We still have nine more investments okay. to go through. So you started kind of with your favorite, which which happens to be one of my favorites. And I'm gonna go into one of my favorites, which is Fundrise. And I, did you also invest in Fundrise? I did. I've only put, I think, $5,000 in there so far because I just haven't had time to play around with it too much. But yeah. it, 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 I do like it a lot as well. So what I like about Fundrise is it's basically a REIT, uh, Real Estate Investment Trust. They're calling it an e-REIT, but it's it's not private. So also we also had Ben Miller on, who's the CEO, and he explained the reason why they can yield more than most public REITs. And that's because they can just cut out so much of the fat. So to be a public REIT, you have all this, you know, this overhead, you have, you have costs going into staying a public company and, you know, keeping that organizational structure. So they're kind of no, no frills. They have a, a, a skimpy office, but really smart people on the team. So I've put in a, a pretty large investment into this. I've broken into three of their different funds. And what I like about it is compared to a public market REIT that has super volatility, which we'll go into because I own a lot of public REITs and they've all gotten hammered. This is, you know, it's still the same. These are yielding between, I have two, uh, three different funds. Two of them are yielding 8% and one of them's yielding 11%, which is incredible, right? Uh, and it pays out quarterly. So just like, you know, Pier Street pays out monthly, monthly, basically. Fundrise is paying out quarterly, but it's really nice. Like, you know, each quarter you get an email saying you've been distributed this much. The money goes straight into your bank account. So it's, it is like an actual paycheck. And I had, so I had some other questions. So if you guys haven't listened to the episode with Ben Miller, please do. It's an awesome episode. It goes really into depth on how these things are work and why Ben thinks this is kind of the future of real estate investing. But I did another follow-up call with them that was really, really good. I should have recorded it. Uh, but it was just basically a customer service call. I was like, hey, I have some questions. I want to invest some more money. I called them. It was an incredible conversation, like so knowledgeable. And so kind of how these things work. So a lot of the questions I had were around if you wanted to get out of this, if you wanted liquidity, how would it work? And basically, when you invest, they take an asset value, the NAV is what they call NAV, and they come up with you know a share per price on that. And then every three months, they have an independent, uh, independent party evaluate the NAV, the net asset value. And if that asset value goes up, then your shares go up in proportion. And if it goes down, your shares go down. So, and you can redeem every quarter. But you know, property values aren't swinging like public REIT values are, right? Some of my public REIT values have gone up 25% and then down 25%. So it's like a 50% swing, right? Property values are really never going to do that in a short duration. So it's, it's almost like owning a, um, a house in, per se. Like you kind of always know each month what the value of that property is going to be. So this is a great way for anyone to invest. I don't think you do not have to be an accredited, which is why it's been really popular with our listeners. And you can invest as little as $1,000. So it's a really good way to get a taste of investing in property without the maintenance, the overhead, and just to be able to collect quarterly rent. Okay, that's cool. I like that a lot. So do you have your investments mainly in the growth suite or the, or the income you read? I have it split. So I have half, uh, well, not totally split, but I have 40% in the income REIT, which yields 11%. I have 40% in the growth REIT, which yields eight, but uh, it's projected to yield more than that, right? So it's 8% just off just off uh, operations. But the, the whole perspective with the growth REIT is you own it for a target of six years. They do refinishings to it, stabilize the rent 
of the different properties and then sell off the properties. So they're projecting to make 16%, but 8% of that will be annual. And the other uh, the other 8% will be at the end when they sell the properties for a profit. Hopefully, that's the perspectives. Okay. I do like that. So, uh, you know, one thing that I, I like about that and why I might put a little bit more money into that is I like having a bigger potential upside because it's not that it's you know, capped at 16%. That's just kind of like an estimate. If the property value increases during the next six years, uh, that number could be more, right? Yeah, exactly. So if you want just the, if you just want stable income, then the income reads the way to go. If you don't want, if you want to take out almost all the volatility because the income reads different, you're not actually getting equity in the properties. You're actually, you're actually the lender. If you want more upside with slightly more risk, then you would do one of the growth reads because then you're actually owning equity in the properties. Uh, so there, there would be more volatility there, but that's why I split it up. And I have a little, there's another one, they have like these private investments that are just, so I own some some equity in some, looks like some like Pennsylvania or Northeast kind of office buildings, just playing around with it. But okay. so yeah, every, so every quarter, it's, um, I think I put in, I put in close to a hundred and every quarter it's, I'm getting distributions of about $2,000. And it's okay. straight into my bank. So it's as, it's as close as anything to a paycheck as I have right now. I like it. And have you played with, with their new categories that, where they divided by location? Like there's the West Coast E-REIT, there's the East Coast E-REIT, or, or, or are you just in the, the growth and the income? Right. So that was actually part of the reason I called them because I didn't really understand those. I'm looking at those that maybe doing the, I like the Heartland REIT, like Denver, Austin. But what my call with her was she was like basically, hey, if... You can you can choose one by preference, or if you think that the property returns are going to go are going to be if property asset values are, are are going to increase on the West Coast versus East Coast versus the Heartland, you know, go with that one. But I, I'm just not qualified to make to choose like that. So I would just pick based on you know cities I like, like Denver, Austin, or but I I don't know. You know, you could overanalyze that stuff and probably get it wrong. So I would just, like anything, I would just try to diversify as much as possible. That makes sense. So I'm t- taking a look at some of the ones that are available right now for the for the growth rate. So the reason why I really like it is I do want to invest in real estate, I just, and especially like multifamily homes. That's something yeah. I've been talking about forever. I just haven't had time to shop around in the US, find my own deal, find a property manager. You know, And honestly, I don't even know if that's something I want to do right now just because I want to be yeah. as location-dependent as possible. So I'm looking huh. right now, and it looks like they have a 41-unit Denver multifamily acquisition, which looks like an apartment building. I can see, you know, the building itself looks great. I can see this kind of the summary of it, the key points, and it looks awesome. Like it, it looks like a way where I could basically own a part of this apartment building without doing any real work and just kind of investing some money into it. So, did you see that one in the growth rate? Yeah, or the, or the land in the, in the growth rate. Yeah, so that I so so I own part of that building, Johnny. Thank you. Oh, Thank nice. you for your compliments on my, my beautiful residential complex yeah well maybe i'm gonna have to jump in on that as well i, th- I think i will actually you know I, I'm, I'm gonna stop buying stuff while on on, on calls with you <laughs> <laughs> especially after having like half a bottle of, of uh scotch on the roof and the sake but i am gonna put this in my notes to buy some more fun rides i like this a lot and i actually just took a look, i just took another look uh to make sure that Fundrise is open to unaccredited investors um and it is. So so I think this is actually a really, really cool thing for people listening to this who don't have a, like a net worth of a million or what is it, 200,000 uh, in income 
per year. Yeah. So so you know if you guys just have a normal job and you guys are you know you know jumping into the investment world right now and you're not at the credit level yet, Fundrise is actually one of the few um, kind of I guess funds out there like online funds that you guys can invest in. So do check that out uh, if you guys want to know more about it. We had interviewed the CEO Ben Miller on episode twelve. Real estate investing with Fundrise. Okay, John, you want to do your second one? Yep. Let me take a look. Oh, by the way, we, we have links to all the the different categories. Um, so basically everything we talk about, you know, we'll ask them afterwards. Like, do you guys have some kind of referral program so we can get credit for referring you? You know, I just want to make it really clear that we will never promote or have someone on, on the show, you know, just because they have a cool affiliate program. I think what we've been doing is we've just been having people on the show that we want to have on. And then afterwards, we're like, oh, by the way, do you have a referral program? So if you guys end up signing up for any of these programs, even if you just you know want to take a look and you don't plan on investing any money right now, you just want to get in and poke around and see what it's like, uh, do use our links to sign up. You can find all the links in the show notes of every episode, or you can just go to investlikeaboss.com and click on the resources page. Uh, and if you guys use our links when you sign up or open account, we get credit for referring you. And we'd really appreciate that because that's what's going to keep this podcast going strong. Okay, so next up, we're going to have Lending Club, <laughs> which is the other peer-to-peer <laughs> lending service that I've not been happy with. Uh, but you know what? I, I guess I can't be unhappy with them because technically I'm still making money with them. And they were the first peer-to-peer lending service online. So it kind of introduced me to all this. So I'm taking a look at my screenshot and it looks like in the the $5,000 I put in total like years ago now, probably, I don't even know how many, probably at least two years ago, I... I'm netting 5.09% adjusted annual return, which means that that is my return after things have been like, have been written off. So, I mean, if you get all the principal back, I would say that's not terrible. And again, if, you know, it's kind of the introduction to, to peer-to-peer lending. But I guess the big concern is there's still the principal risk, right? Because a lot of these are not going to be paid back for, you know, maybe six months, 12 months. And I, I just, I'm new to Lending Club. I also invested, af, you know, after you with a little bit more caution. But I can already see that each month my adjusted net annualized return continues to fall because it, it can't go up, right? It, it's impossible for it to go up because the only thing that can happen is more people default. But otherwise, your interest rates will stay the same. So is that what you've seen happen like yeah. month over month with, with your adjusted annualized return? Yeah, correct. I've, so I've never seen it go up. And now that you bring that up, I don't know if it, I don't know if it can go up. So unless I guess everyone that's in like grace period suddenly starts paying, but I'm taking a look to see what I'm at right now. So I've, it looks like I have 309 notes and out of those, I have, let's see, 29 have been completely charged off, which means I'll never get that back again. There are 10, which are between one to four months late, which unfortunately I don't know if I'll see those again. Three that are within. A, a month late and I have one that's in grace period. So out of the 309 notes I have out there, the ones that are basically the loans out, I only have 47 that are actually paid off. Uh, and I have more than 37 of over 47 that are either charged off completely or super late. So the numbers are not very good right now. Uh, it looks like pretty much 50% of my Lending club loans are either late or 
defaulted versus the one who versus ones who are actually paying off. Crazy. I would definitely encourage anyone who's thinking about doing peer to peer lending to consider doing it through a means of like Pure Street or even there's a lot of other ways to do it now with getting your loan secured by an asset. This is not one of them. And interesting enough, we've had extremely good success in getting just about any guests we've reached out to onto the show. They've been they've all been very open to coming on the show. Two companies that have not responded to us are Lending Club and Prosper. And I don't know if that's an indication of them just not wanting to come on and thinking they're going to have to answer hard questions. But those are two companies that because that, that's the biggest thing I want to find out is like, what happens to all these people that are not paying back their loans? Because when I, you know, when I did this lending club, dude, immediately on putting the money in, some of the loans got charged off. So I'm like, that has got to be some type of fraud, right? I mean, if you put in money and then the next week it's getting charged off, it's almost like they're putting you into a loan that they know is going to go into default to either to, to somehow you know ca- capitalize the, their business or to share to, to mitigate the you know or spread out the the loss to more lenders. I don't know how it works, but there's something seems so wrong about it, right. Or maybe people are just taking advantage of lending club, knowing that they could just default without any issue. So either way, I mean I, I don't yeah. know what's actually happening, but either way, it's not a good thing. It's not, not good. for us. Yeah, there was a there was a there was an article that. They created a big stir that they found that Lending Club was people that had defaulted. They were rolling over their loans or giving them a new one, and that's like that's that's, that's that crazy. sounds that sounds okay. really unethical, right? Well, you know what? Let's, let's let's not even waste any more time. Lending Club not recommended. <laughs> not recommended, Next. but but a good but a good introduction to peer to peer lending. Yeah. Okay. So my next one is going to be. Huh. Okay, I'm. What I'm going to do is I'm going to follow up with my E-Trade account mainly because I want to talk about the difference. I so I own a big. I own a REIT through my lending club that's called Senior Housing Properties. Um, so I just want to talk. First off, my E-Trade account is a disaster. Over the course of five years, it's down eight percent. That's not like you know, that's eight, over five years. I've got a negative return on it, and wow. this is all you know things that I've picked. Um, I've had a couple winners in there like Facebook, Alibaba, uh, but I've had some losers in there like Tesla and most recently the senior housing properties. So I've, I put in about a hundred thousand into senior housing properties and it's down like 20%. So it's a huge red banner when I log in to my E-Trade account and it sucks. Like it's, you know, you I bought it for the yield. So I bought it, I'm getting about a seven and a half percent yield. Right. Um, now as long as I hold it, long term and the company continues to you know operate and yield and, and hopefully grow, then it's fine. It should come back. But it's still scary to look in there and see that big of a loss, right? Compared to like Fundrise, for instance, that's yielding the exact same. You know, maybe you can argue that that buying this public re- has a bigger upside because, you know, it could swing 25% up and you could take a big gain. Mm-hmm. But I don't like the volatility. Like I'm buying it for the yield. I'd rather it just stay as as calm as possible. I collect my seven and a half percent yield and I don't have to worry about the ups and downs. So that's why I really like Fundrise at this moment in time. I like Fundrise a lot better than buying these public REITs because now if I was looking in the account and senior housing properties was up 25 percent, I'd probably be saying the opposite thing. But um, but the volatility is really scary for me. Yeah. Well, you know, what's crazy is I was going I really wanted to invest in senior housing a, a little while back a few years ago because I thought. You know, hey, th- this makes sense. You know, there's more people getting older. It, this this sounds like a great thing investment. So, 
you know, thanks for for kind of showing me that it wasn't. Yeah, no, I mean, it's I, I still like it. I'm not I'm not dogging the investment. It's just it makes it brings too much emotion into it. Um, I don't know if you look at my screenshot, but I put in a uh, an overview of my account in E-Trade and it looks like I have about 14 stocks or funds and only four, three of them are green on the year or, or, or over the course of, of eight years, which is crazy, right? Okay. So the, Sam is not a stock picker. And, but, you know, it, I did, I did recommend yeah. people take a look at senior housing properties. It's yielding almost 9% right now. I mean, that's, okay. that's pretty incredible for a, for a public REIT. So it's still worth taking a look at, but you have to buy it knowing you're not going to, you know, you're not going to flip it in three months. You're, you're buying it for the yield and it's, it's a long-term position. Okay. So are you still getting that 9% yield? And so like, so are you getting a 9% like, uh, I don't want to say dividend, but are you getting 9% from it, even though the value of it is, is declining? Yeah. So that's the, I guess the good thing with, with REITs as well, as long as you understand them that for instance, right now that it's trading at 18, $18 a share. So I bought most of my shares at 20, around $20, $20.50. It went up to almost $25. I made a huge profit, you know, if I if I just wanted to trade it. But then with with uh, the election and and the talk of interest rates rising, REIT prices typically fall in rising interest rates. That's my understanding of it. So with all this, it went from 25 down to 17 and a half. And at 17 and a half I bought more and it was yielding like 9.5%. So Hypothetically, the it, the price could drop in half, and as long as the business is still sound, it's still going to pay out the yield. Uh, there was a time last year when senior housing properties was trading at like fifteen. You could buy it then and make double digit yields, uh, and it was still paying out the yields. The only time it would it would cut the dividend is if if like we're in a big recession um, and they were having trouble with rents or their operations weren't stable. But if it's just this volatility, you know, the markets uh, they're worried about a quarter percent interest rate. It's really not going to affect the yield. So as long as you have that view of it, I think you know I think it's still a good investment. Okay, yeah, that definitely makes sense. Uh, but I, I could also see why it would just be easier just to buy a fund through through Fundrise, which I would probably do. I think this is a good segue for my Vanguard account. So I actually have a shop account, but it's it's kind of unfair for me to talk about it because I, I literally just have Facebook in there now. Uh, there are two f- stocks that I have bought in the past, which were losers. That I I don't think I've ever talked about. <laughs> One was BlackBerry um, when it started just tanking, and I <laughs> just thought like, oh, well, it's tanking. It's so low now. Maybe they'll like recover somehow. Um, I'll just buy some of the stock because it was it was so cheap. It was I don't remember what it was, but it was like seven bucks or less. I don't know. I would say yeah. This is, this is when BB. This is when BBM was king for Messenger, right? Yep. So you I used thought, to have a BlackBerry? Okay. no, uh, you know, I never actually, I actually had my first smartphone ever, uh, was just like three years ago and it was a knockoff BlackBerry <laughs> and it was oh, a my. terrible thing. Uh, they call it a feature phone, but anyway, so I, so I bought it for, I don't know, I don't remember now it's like $7 a share and then I sold it at like $6 a share. So it, it wasn't a huge loss or anything. It just kind of made me realize I, I don't want to gamble with things like that. I also bought bunch of shares of Exxon when it was low because I had a friend who thought it was a good price to, to jump in at that. Um, and I think I bought it around, let's say, like 80 or something. And then it, it tanked, you know, if you guys, if you remember earlier, kind of uh, last year, I think. But what I did was 
as soon as it went back up to you know whatever it was that I bought, I just sold it for the exact same amount. So I, I did, it, that was a wash. And honestly, the main reason why I sold it is I just kind of don't feel comfortable owning Exxon Mobil stocks just because I feel like it's bad karma. <laughs> just, <laughs> so I wanted to sell it. So the only thing in my shop account is Facebook, which I got in at like something ridiculous, like 55 and now it's worth 120. So that's not even really fair to talk about. Um, but that was just luck. And I think even though I've gotten lucky with Facebook, I knew 100% it was a gamble because like everything else is a gamble. So that's not something I would do again. Most of my money now is in ETFs and it looks like I have, I don't know a percentage, but 80% of it in VTI, which is the total stock market. Then I have a little bit in VBR, which is the Vanguard small cap value ETF, which was brought on by a couple Paul of people. Yeah. So I do listen to the advice of our guests and it makes sense, right? Have you started buying any uh, small cap value at all? Yeah, I've actually been loading up on it. After that episode, it was the same thing. I was like, it makes sense. But also, I think just inside me, like I'm a, I'm a small business guy. I'm like a micro small business guy. So it's just something I believe in. I like, you know, I like small businesses. So there is sort of that affinity to two small businesses and wanting to wanting to see them succeed and also understanding them a little bit better. Yeah. And also on a logical point of view, it, it makes sense that big established companies probably aren't going to double the growth overnight. They're not going to grow that much. They, you know, they're kind of going to steadily grow or maybe even maintain. But small cap, you know, small businesses, they have potential to really grow into one of those big businesses. So the upside is a lot higher. And from my understanding, value basically means the, the companies that you know, you're almost getting at a discount because they should probably be worth more, but for whatever reason, their stock price doesn't reflect it yet. Yeah, and I think another another perspective to consider is with the new or you know, Trump's president. He's talking about lowering taxes for for small or for business and small business and reducing regulation. That could be good. We don't know how it's going to play out, but you would think that would be an indication that is pro-business and will make it easier for small businesses to get started and potentially go public, um, which would all benefit small cap value funds like your Vanguard one. Yeah, I like it. So actually, what I've been doing is I've been rebalancing my portfolio, I guess. And by that, I just mean buying more of the small cap ETF and less of ETI. I think what I'm going to try to do, because you know, cause I like risk, I think I'm going to try to get to 30% small cap and then 70% VTI. So VBR, which is the small cap, I'm going to try to get to that to about 30%. And then VTI, I'm going to keep around 70 just because it's the whole market. Yeah, I got really envious when I looked at your Vanguard account, man. It's You've done a good job with this. You know, you have a, well, you'll post this in the notes, I'm sure, but you have a Big green upswing, which is really pretty. And you've had awesome returns on this account. Much, much better than mine. You're a lot more concentrated. I'm much more diversified. But, you know, your strategy is working. It's something that, you know, we understand stocks like bonds and all these other these other crap I've put in my Vanguard account or things that have typically gotten nailed. But I do dig your strategy. So yeah, I appreciate it. I think technically my, my return right now... It- it says it's only 4.4%. Uh, but you guys can take a look at the numbers. Um, I, I'll post screenshots in the show notes of this episode with, with everything to kind of analyze it. But what's really exciting about it is not just the fact that in the last year, I've made 
$12,000 in investment returns, which is insane. And, and so 10,600 of that was from market gain. So just buying low and having it rise. Uh, but almost 2,000 of it, so 1,970 of it was from income returns, which is the just the dividend that, that these guys pay out. So this is what I like so much about VTI. And I haven't looked into what the, the dividend is for um, for VBR, but it's, I mean, getting like two grand in just dividends is awesome. Yeah. And I have something that's actually really embarrassing to admit, but super beneficial for anyone that is like me and just didn't know. Okay. So I was looking at these Vanguard funds and all the stock funds and I was talking with Mario, my accountant who's been on the show. And I was trying to plan for 2017, like my income and for my taxes and stuff. And I'm like, man, man, maybe I should pick some more of these, you know, these technology funds that yield less, but have a bigger upside in terms of potential capital appreciation. Because I was thinking that the, the dividends that were paid through these funds were considered ordinary income. So I'm like, you know, my ordinary income bracket now is close to 40%, which is, is, is shit. So I'm trying to limit my ordinary income. So I've actually was was taking steps to decrease my positions in higher yielding yield paying uh, stocks and funds and and everything else and try to to increase positions where I can grow from capital gains. But what I didn't realize is that almost all the distributions from funds, uh, not bonds, but from stocks are considered qualified dividends, which means they're taxed, at least in the U.S., at 15 percent for most people. So that two thousand dollars that you made in dividends from your VT, from your different funds, it's almost 100% likely to be taxed at 15% instead of your higher tax bracket, which might, might be 25 or 30 or even higher. Yeah, well, that's crazy. Yeah, that's great news. I like that. Do you know that if I auto reinvest those dividends, if I still have to pay taxes on those? Yes, you do. Okay, that makes sense. But you don't have to pay on the gains unless you sell it, right? Yeah. So big word of the wise is if you're buying any of these funds, keep it for at least a year so you're not paying uh, short-term capital gains on it. Right. So I just, I just took a look and it looks like the small cap value, uh, VBR, actually pays a slightly better dividend than VTI. So gives me even more incentive to pack that that part in. So I, I like what, that a lot. Do you know what it, what it, what's that pay annually? It was something like 0.6. So 0.6 quarterly. So uh, what will, will that be? Two point two point two percent. Two point yeah. yeah yeah that's pretty that's all right that's all yeah, right that's not bad yeah because because I figure that is kind of just like a bonus that that's basically you know almost inflation and then any kind of gains the the actual fund does you know is right. cherry on top and what so what I, I I looked at your you have a settlement fund Vanguard Federal Money Settlement Fund that you have twelve thousand dollars and so what's what, is that uh, is that some type of gains being settled there or is that just extra cash that you have sitting there waiting. I think that was just extra cash I have there waiting. I think that's the same as yeah. the money market fund. You know what that might be is I don't know. I don't remember if I sold something and I just haven't moved that or used it yet. But yeah, basically the, the money market funds uh, and the market money settlement fund is just like a like a, almost like a bank account that you're just okay. holding it there. Yeah, or you and you're making like when the election came, you're putting in trades at certain limits to to try to catch dips and stuff. So it makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, awesome job on this. I know this is like this is this is great performance for the year. I think it was a good strategy. Definitely better than my strategy going into the year. So it's good. It's awesome to be able to look at mine compared to yours and see you know and be able, be able to compare them apples to apples on 
on different strategies and yours clearly took the cake on this on this year oh i appreciate it we'll we'll, we'll see what happens uh next year be a fun little challenge yeah. well right. we'll say you buy you you buy dinner this year okay <laughs> so, so. <laughs> all right go ahead all right. what do you so have next my next yeah my next one is gonna be art of fx with our boy brian jimerson and i'm happy to say because i also know that you have an account with brian and art of fx and his partner tang we're also good friends with. And I think a lot of other people, a lot of other of our listeners have opened accounts. And I'm going to guess that almost all of our accounts are the same. If they're being traded the same, then we can all celebrate another positive year with Art of FX. My account right now is total, uh, let's see, total gain of 52.79%. And that would be over the course of, I want to say, about a year and a half. Okay. Maybe so slightly more. Can you take a look to see what you've gained this year? Because mine is way less than that for this year. Yeah, let me take a look. March, February. Because I think on the on the dashboard, uh, you can just look down to under trading above. Oh, this, this year. Yeah. Okay. So my gain this year is thirty three percent. Well, you know what? I think we are in different categories because uh, mine was only twenty four point two percent, which I think is still I think, incredible. I think you might but... have risk. Yeah, yeah, it's still. Wait, say, sorry, say that again. Twenty two percent. Twenty four point two percent. Um, but you probably set up an account after me because mine's been going yeah, since January first, right? Yep. So you probably just missed a couple of months of gains. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess. That, oh, you're, you're right about that. Hey, you snooze, you lose, buddy. I know. But you know what? Okay, so what are, you, what are your kind of overall thoughts? Because it, it almost sounds... I mean, to be honest, so it, it almost sounds too good, too good to be true. Like, it's, you know, these are insane returns. Why aren't, why aren't you putting a ton more money into this? Well, I don't know. You know, it's... It's it's been like it's been an incredible ride. I, I don't check the account. It's not like a, a nervous trading for me. I check the account maybe every two months. I check my Vanguard and my other accounts way more than I check this. You know, I don't know. It's just I don't really understand forex trading or the systems or or anything else. Like I understand stocks and stuff. So it's just that little bit of it, it's almost like Fundrise, right? I really like Fundrise, but at the end of the day, like. I have I have probably 1.5% of my total wealth in Fundrise and it's it's one of my favorite investments but it's just that little bit of unknown like that I can't touch it you know it's not fully in my control it's not something I fully understand I've I've not been to the office and I think that's a I think that's a problem with a lot of these new platforms uh, uh, these like modern technology platforms like Realty Shares and and other things it's like people want to know exactly what they're getting into. And if there's that little bit of vagueness because it's enabled by technology, it's a little bit of a barrier for people to really commit to it. Okay. But that, I guess with like yeah. this is, you know, the returns are crazy, but I guess I'm, I'm really happy with the returns. But I, you know, I guess there's that underlying feeling of something bad could happen. You know, yeah. what if the trading system breaks and all the money goes into one trade and is lost? I just don't understand it. I guess that's the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm not putting much more into it. Yeah, that makes sense. So I put you know ten grand into it, basically right after that episode. Um, it was, I think it was episode three because we had such a great time with with Brian at his uh his penthouse in Bangkok, and 
I still think to you know till this day that is probably my riskiest investment. But you know, with high you know with high risk at high return, so it's also been my best return at twenty four percent now, which is amazing. So I think the reason why I'm happy to put ten grand in, but I, I right now I'm not gonna put more money in, is because I know how how reliant it is on two guys, on Brian and his partner Tang. That they are kind of like the wizards behind it, working their butts off. And because I'm friends with Brian on Facebook now, I know how burnt out he gets from just working like 20 hours a day. And then, then he needs, you know, basically he needs to like chill out and, you know, not kill himself because then, you know, it's not that I, I don't think the count's going to go down. I think it'll just kind of be like, okay, if, you know, if let's say he gets burnt out, maybe it'll just, it'll go flat for a few months or something. But either way, it's, to me, it, there's that risk. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave this 10 grand in, let it grow until the end of our contract, whatever that is. I think it's two years. I'm going to pull out the original 10 grand and then I'm telling him go crazy with whatever money, <laughs> you know, was in there. And be- just because I figured that, you know, that's money that I wouldn't have had anyways. And I would just tell him, do whatever you, you want to do with it. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. One of the, the cool things with this account is that if you want to go, so I, I have my risk tolerance pretty low, which is incredible that I'm still making like, you know, 25, 30% a year. But if you really want to turn up the volume, you know, you can, he can add extra leverage to your account, which is going to increase your, you know, your upside and downside, obviously. But yeah, we've had a, a lot of fun. Every time I go through Bangkok, I hang out with Brian. We're great friends just on a, on a personal level, as I know you guys are. So this is, this is awesome. Like, you know, one thing I accidentally somehow got removed from their newsletter and I just got re-added to it. I love their newsletters. Like I love their updates. This is another thing that you just learn so much by being a part of it, even in a, in a very small way, like Fundrise. If you have $1,000 in there and then you get their quarterly updates, like you're just going to learn so much about property and how it's managed and how they're valued. Same with peer straight, same with realty shares. Like if you're just, if you're just in the deal flow and you're looking at this stuff and you're getting the newsletters and, and paying attention to it, you're going to learn a ton, you know? So I'm glad to be back on that mailing list. I must have accidentally spammed it one night. When uh, I was- there you go. So you know how I told you I, I, I wouldn't do any, anything crazy while I'm actually on the call with you? Uh, I just emailed Brian telling him to, to pump up my risk all the way up. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that turns out. Yeah. So we'll get Brian back on the show. I know everyone loved episode three. We did too. It was, it was a hell of a lot of fun. And um, I won't celebrate the wins of this year yet with ArtFX because we've still got another month to go. But things are looking really good for a solid a very solid 35 percent return just this month alone is already up three percent so pretty awesome one thing i was actually really surprised was when brian sent us an email saying during the election he's not going to do any crazy trades even though he knows there's potential money to be made he also knows how risky it is and that was actually kind of surprising to me i actually kind of thought his personality would be like all right let's let's go crazy now so I've taken a look and it looks like during these last couple of weeks during the, the Trump election that he, he was very conservative and he wasn't trying, like, you know, he didn't lose any money, but he didn't make that much. I think he was kind of just kind of holding out saying like, you know what, you know, this is a gamble that I don't want to take. You know, I think he is a much more conservative person than, than most people think. And I see that with his trading. Like he's, he's an absolute diehard workaholic. Like this guy, I'm telling you, he's, he's, he played football at Oklahoma in their national championship at linebacker. 
like he's built like a, a mule. The guy sleeps like four hours a night and he, he pretty much works the rest of the time. Like that's his love. That's his passion. He built up his business out of nothing. It was basically like living in a van, learning how to learning how to trade. Listen to episode three if you want to hear more about that. But he's an absolute work. Yeah. If you guys have not listened to episode three, like have that be next on your list you're gonna love the episode not only are you probably gonna learn something but it's just it's probably the most entertaining episode we've ever recorded yeah yeah definitely um i think when he was really getting the gears turning on the business like like he says in episode three he took some big losses just by making a few mistakes so i think he's been through it enough now that it's just not worth it you know it's, it's more important for him not to lose money than to make money for all of his you know for all of his people like if we wake up tomorrow and our account's up three percent on the year, like it's not exciting, but doesn't hurt. You know, we're not going to pull our money out. But if we wake up and the account's taken a 15% hit because he tried to trade the election, you know, aggressively, you know, he's going to get a ton of phone calls and probably some unhappy clients, right? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. Uh, you know, with, with the stock market and with foreign exchange, for every winner, there's a loser. Yeah. Even though I like yeah. risk and I like being on the winning side, I also don't like being on the losing side. I would rather not be on the losing side more than than win. So that's why even though, you know, I have 10k in this, you know, in terms of my total net worth, it's you know, it's a small percentage, so I'm willing to take that risk. Uh that's why I have most of my money in things like Wealthfront, which is going to be the next item on my list. In total, it looks like I have 30k in there or so. Some money I put 10k in but to my SEP IRA, which I set up after talking to, I think it was episode five with Dave Steiner. I think he was the one to convince me to, to start a SEP IRA. I'm excited, I guess, to do my taxes this year and see if I can write that, that 10K off that I put in. Um, so we'll see how that one works out. But it looks like my account's you know up pretty good. Uh, the SEP looks like it's up 4.9%. And then my normal Wealthfront account looks like it's up 7% total. How, how come at the top it says you have 117,941? Uh, I don't know. You know what? It's it's kind of annoying that they do that because I think what that does is that includes the amount of money I have in my bank account. Oh, because I saw that. I'm like, dude, Johnny, you've been loading up no, on Wealthfront. I have it. You know what? I actually emailed them about that and I said, like, what does this mean? And I thought it was a bit annoying that that's there because it makes it seem like you have more money than you do. And then they give you the estimated value at age 70, which kind of just doubles it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and these, there's, there's a few, it looks like your account's done well. I still think they manipulate the numbers on like in a way that is not totally transparent and clear, like the time way to return and the money way to return. I know we looked this up before, but I don't think either of those numbers are actually accurate compared to what your net investment was and what the gain was. You can run a pretty easy calculation on that, but I still don't think those numbers are told. Like for the average investor, are clear and transparent. I think they're a little bit more advantageous to Wealthfront. But it looks like your account's done well. I know my account is also up for sure on the year. Certainly better than my E-Trade and my Vanguard. So, so what's your overall like? Where, where does this sit in, in the different investments you have? Where does this sit with? how you perceive it and what your plan for the future with it is. I think this is the one where I really wanted to set and forget. I think it's one of those things where it's not exciting to me. You know, it's, I, I guess it's not supposed to be exciting, but Wealthfront is one of those things where I think it's great for people uh, who just, you know, they want to have retirement income. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to look at it at all that, you know, maybe like once every 
two years they're gonna log in and i think that's how i'm gonna i'm gonna treat this account where i'm just not gonna look at it at all i'm i'm not putting any more money into it just because i don't want i don't like i don't want to invest in in bonds anymore i think i'm too young and too risk tolerant for that uh i think it's good for people who are a bit more risk adverse who you know don't want to wake up one day and see half their money gone but also don't care as much about the upside because i think someone explained to me you know the best where they said the problem with things like wealth for and betterment is you're probably not going to become a millionaire from it or multi-millionaire from it you know you're probably just going to have enough to retire from which for a lot of people they're very happy with that but i think i i'm doing this you know because i want to i want to be that multi-millionaire i don't want to just have a comfortable retirement mm-hmm. yeah i would say that your views are pretty spot on i agree with all that and this is funny hearing you say like you don't want to invest in bonds, so you're staying at a wealth front because your wealth front account probably invests only eight percent of your total account into bonds compared yeah, eight, to eight percent too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I honestly I agree totally with your outlook on bonds because I think it's just totally retarded <laughs> that a bond, for instance, my my municipal bond account is down four percent on the year. That's more than it yields. It doesn't even yield four percent. Like it, it, it doesn't make any sense that because people are scared that rates, interest rates are going to go up a quarter of a percent, that it drops four yeah. percent. Like it just doesn't make sense. You're buying bonds for the yield and not for the volatility. And here's my my municipal bonds are down four percent. I mean, it, it's it's red on the year. I hate it. Right. Yeah. It, it just doesn't even make sense to me. So I think you should not buy what doesn't make sense to me. Or, or yep. what doesn't make sense to you, any, anyways. But exactly. um, cool. So you're gonna set this and forget it, lock it up, check set it in a couple it, years, set it and forget it. I might put some more money into my SEP IRA. Uh, you know what? I, I think I'm gonna put that on my to do list. I might try to put some more money into my SEP before the end of the year because I had a lot of income this year from selling my dropshipping business, and I don't want to pay tax on that. So if I can write all that off, and you know. Well, not write it off, but put that in a SEP IRA and have that tax be deferred until I retire, then I'm going to do that. I like it. I wish I had some earned income so I could inv- <laughs> contribute to my IRA, and but I don't. So <laughs> there you go. I, so, we'll just have to make my retirement elsewhere. There you go. What do you have up next? Okay. I have Betterment and Betterment's interesting. So I invested in this sort of after the Meb Faber episode. I love Meb Faber. I thought he was amazing. So good to have him on the show. Learned a lot from his show. And what he did is he did a collaboration with Betterment through his company, Cambria. And I invested. So basically, they're doing Cambria is Cambria's whole premise is low fees, right? That's, if you read any of Matt Faber's books or blogs, it's all about low fees. So he's kind of eating his own dog food, per se, in setting up a robo advisor account through Betterment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what I did is I opened an account through him, I put in 50 grand. I think it's up like 1% or something. It's like two, up $200. But I did it more just as an experiment. And what his, so what his robo-advisor, it's like different. If you look at your Wealthfront account, what he has is Cambria has got their own ETF that they've created that's called GMOM. And it's got a trend-following component, which is kind of a discretionary fund where they will trade things based on the moving average. It's, it's a little bit more technical than I know how to explain in a qualified way. But, but what I realized is it just doesn't make any sense to have a Wealthfront and Betterment account. I did this purely as, as an experiment. And because I have so much more money in Wealthfront, 
And the, the only thing I didn't really like about this this kind of collaboration account is the fees of the funds are a lot higher. So the average fund that they have you in in this collaboration through Cambrian Betterment is about 0.6, like six, six base, uh, 60 basis points, mm-hmm. whereas in Wealthfront, it's like 0.09. So fees-wise, it's just so much cheaper to do it either you know through Wealthfront or through a traditional Betterment fund and not through this um, through this kind of collaboration fund. So I'm going to fold this, not because I don't think it's going to perform well, just because it's one more financial account to think about to add, you know, do tax reporting on. And also there's like the tax loss loss harvesting aspect that if this account's doing tax loss harvesting and my wealth run is, there's the potential there for for wash sales. So I think it's better just to simplify. So I'm going to probably close this up next month and put the extra money into wealth front. I still love you, Meb, if you're listening. Okay. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. But fun little experiment, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'll I'll, de- I'll definitely I'll definitely put a uh, screenshot of this as well in the show notes because you can get an idea of the different funds that they have us in compared to Johnny's wealth front. Okay, very cool. So my last, I guess, I don't want to say invest. Yeah, I guess investment is in myself, uh, in my own small businesses. I, I think we talked about this a lot in all the episodes, um, especially the one called How to. I think it was. 300 times your return. Yep. So what I've been doing is I'm back in Chiang Mai and I have been, and that was episode 23, if you guys want to see that, it's called From Zero to Self-Made, How to 300 Extra Investment. Uh, I've been following my own advice and basically I have been working my butt off creating uh, new dropshipping stores with a bunch of partners. So what I did was I invited 10 people from my email list on johnnyfd.com who have been kind of following my journey for the last couple of years. So I started my first shopping shipping store about three and a half years ago and I've been just, just kind of sharing the journey. I shared the course that I took. I shared kind of the tips I've learned. I shared kind of like the, you know, the ups and downs and it turns out a lot of people follow along. A lot of people joined the course as well. A lot of people started their own stores and I told them, I said, hey, if any of you want to come out to, to Chiang Mai and work as a group, to start a bunch of new stores together, uh, I'm happy to 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 organize it and partner with you guys. So for the last four weeks now, we've been meeting you know a couple times a week in person, and we've been starting brand new businesses together. They all just went live, so I'm very very kind of excited to see when we're gonna get our first sale uh, and who's gonna be the first. <laughs> I've even done a little contest telling people, you know, out of the, um, out of the group, out of the, the 10 people, the, the first three who get the first stores, they're, or the first sales, they're gonna get, um, a thousand baht each, which in US nice. dollars is only like 30 bucks. But it's like, it's, it's such a nice feeling to, to get handed cash, you know, knowing that, that what you've done is, is paying off. So I think that's gonna be, you know, really huge. So the potential kind of upside to this is I own 25% of each of these 10 businesses. And wow. if each of them can be do between one to $7,000 a month of profit, I get a quarter of that. Plus the goal is to flip all these at the end of 12 months for a big kind of payday, you know, between 20 to 30 X. So that's, you know, this, this potentially is going to make me a couple hundred thousand dollars. Really exciting. How, so how much how much effort has this been getting everything set up and what's your role been in these for your equity? So I you know, I kinda I told them from day one that I don't have time to 
to you know build ten stores myself. Um, so I'm not going to you know be doing any of the day to day or like the you know customer service or anything like that. My big role is to kind of lead the group into helping each other, but also to kind of extend my resources and having kind of the grand the grand plan to make sure everyone's on track and doing everything correctly. I think one of the biggest benefits to be honest, has just been getting this group together because I, I literally had to pull 10 people. You know, I, I, I interviewed, I think, you know, 40 people over Skype or over like YouTube uh, interview videos through like applications. And I kind of hand-selected these 10 people and they have been the best asset to each other because, for example, on day one, I made everyone share a tip that <laughs> to, to automate their store to free up time on their existing store. So even before we started the new store together, I spent a few days making sure everyone's existing stores were as semi-passive as possible. That way they would have time to work on the new one. And I think even things like that and just having forcing everyone to go around and kind of share their best secrets on how to do that, uh, how to free up time, how to you know make their existing businesses better. They've already made their money back just from that. Yeah. And where are you guys working? How are you, how are you, are you all working in the same place each day? Or are you working with everyone independently? So we do a group meeting a couple times a week, uh, kind of depending on, on what we need to get done. And we rent out a big conference room at a, like basically the entire floor of a coffee shop. And there's 10 of us plus me. So 11 of us now. And what I'll do is I'll, you know, basically have a topic of the day. Um, say, okay, this week we are focusing on calling suppliers. Here is how I do it. Here are, here's a script I use. Here are the things, you know, they might look for. We do some role playing. Then we kind of have, you know, everyone go around and share one of their tips. And that is their homework. I can say, okay, the very next time we meet, everyone's going to have called three suppliers. That next time we meet, I ask everyone how, how the, their calls went and any objections that they would get. We role play this with the other nine members. That way, if they get that same rejection or that same question, everyone will know exactly what to do or what to say. And it's been kind of going on like that for the last four weeks where, you know, every day, every time we meet, we're kind of doing homework from the last time, also assigning homework for the next, which has vastly kind of improved and kept everyone on track because normally it takes about two months to set up a dropshipping store on, on your own. I think the reason why everyone is live now in week four is not only because they've had the experience of doing it once, but we've had a group kind of motivating each other to keep on track. We've had milestones and goals. And more importantly, we've had help, uh, not only from me, but all the other members where they don't get stuck. And have any of the costs that went into developing these things, were they covered by the person that is operating them? Yeah. So the great thing about dropshipping stores is they don't really cost anything to start up. It's $29 a month for hosting uh, for the e-commerce platform, You know, $5 for a logo, um, and really, that's it. Like, there's there's almost no fees, and I I, I think the only money that you would probably end up spending is the you know maybe a couple hundred bucks on Google Ads in the beginning to start getting your first sale before you kind of recoup that cost. But the biggest expenses would be one is to learn how to do all this. So Anton's course is I think like thirteen hundred dollars right now for the basic package, or like two grand if you want him to actually make the site for you. So nine out of ten of the partners have been through that, so they've spent in their own money, you know, two or three grand getting the training. I was originally just going to charge for this partnership and then take a smaller cut, which I'm I'm kind of debating if I want to do this for the next round because I, I do believe that when people invest money into, into something, they they will normally get more value out of it. But I think that this, this time it's worked really, really perfect, especially because everyone's had a successful store before. They've all been profitable before. So they were willing to kind of work the butts off even without that that financial investment up front. Cool. 
So you got to keep us posted on on how this all plays out and and when the first sales come in and, and the performance from then on out. Yeah, definitely. So I'm really excited about that. So that's mainly what I've been investing in uh, my time. And the other thing I've been investing in is putting together the 2017 Nomad Summit, which is going to be February 4th in Chiang Mai, where we're going to have a bunch of speakers, you know, some of the some of the best guys I know from around the world come and give talks kind of TEDx style on location independent businesses. And it's going to be a great networking opportunity for people to come and just meet other digital nomads who are traveling around the world, have an excuse to come to Chiang Mai, which is kind of the mecca of the nomad movement. But the investment I've had to put on that is even before I sold my first ticket, I had to put down a $10,000 deposit on the conference room. That was non-refundable. So Which is crazy that, yeah. that, that, a, that, a, that a hotel conference room in Chiang Mai can cost $10,000, but... Yeah. Geez. Well, I, you know, I think it was it, it, it was because it wasn't just a conference room. It was literally the whole convention center. Um, yeah. And we had to kind of guarantee, you know, like the meals for... I, th- I think what it was is... So the ten grand guarantees up to 300 people. And I think we might have more than that. I think like, our goal is to try to have 400, but... You know, the 300 is kind of the minimum that we're shooting for. So the 10 grand guarantees seating for them, coffee, kind of snacks, as well as lunch. So at the end of the day, you know, it's the deposit. It's it sucks, but we've already made that back uh, and more. So that was a big risk because even though I've done this now, this is my third year hosting the nomad summit it was still scary i mean just like kind of putting you know handing my credit card over and saying all right well i guess we're gonna sell a couple hundred tickets cool that'll be fun man i'm I'm, uh sad i'll get to miss it this year i had a lot of fun there last year but there'll be another one in the future you better give us a free sponsorship invest like a boss i'll I'll, I'll give us a shout out definitely (laughs) (laughs) cool all right. Well, my last one is I thought I'd throw in one of my properties, my overseas properties, just to give a little bit of variety. So I have a prop. I have five properties in Thailand now, and one of them I'm renting out. So just give just give a quick overview of this one. It's in an apartment building. It cost me one hundred and thirty thousand dollars, which is mm, the prices are starting to go up. So I, I want to say that that was a little bit at the higher end when I bought it, but now a lot of the new apartment buildings are going up or or 200,000 on up for the same type of unit. It brings in $700 a month in rent, which is actually crazy. Like I you know what unit I'm talking about, like the top corner unit, right? Yeah. At Sir- uh, so I mean that is such a good deal in my opinion. That it's a sick unit, 180 degree view of the city and the mountain and it's you can rent it for $700 a month. Like it's it's crazy. So anyways, it's being rented. So that's a 6.5% gross yield. The great thing with it is compared to buying property in so many places around the world, there's zero property tax and the homeowner's costs, like the maintenance costs each month are peanuts. It's like $30 a month or something, maybe a little bit more, maybe 40 or something. But, but anyways, if, if, I could, if I go to sleep and forget about the property for the next year, it costs me all of about $500 to run and maintain. So it's great. And the thing I love about it is it's kind of a plan B for me also. So if the worst case, you know, something happens, bad event in the world, I can always just kick out the tenant and go live there for free. And it's a nice place. I'm happy with it. It's a place I would be more than happy to live at any time. In fact, I have lived there quite quite often before. Uh, and it's a little bit of spending cash when I get up to Thailand every now and then. So I really like that one. The price is is stable. It's certainly not not falling. And it's tangible. It's like all these things that we're talking about, they're not really tangible. So it's it's nice to have a little bit of my portfolio and something that's like actually real 
I can go touch it. I can go use it. Um, I can let friends and family use it as well. So yeah, I'm pretty I, happy with I, that. I could definitely see kind of the value of that for a lot of people who want to be able to touch something that they've bought and they invested in, whether it's gold or real estate or you know whatever it is. I think right now I'm so I'm, I'm like I, I I'm so anti. I don't want to say commitment, uh, but. I'm like, I want everything to be completely virtual, you know, completely online. So I don't have to have any worries at all. Like, I, I like, you know, basically, as long as the, the computer systems and the world aren't wiped out, I know that no matter what disaster there is or what, like, you know, changes there are in the world, that I have nothing physical that is, is worth anything, really. <laughs> That's cool. I like it. Yeah. I like the opposing, opposing viewpoint. Yeah. Uh, so that, that pretty much wraps up for me. The one other thing I will say is Rob Shaw was on episode, I want to say 27. Uh, and we talked about his new startup, CN. He's just finalized his round on that. I think it's somewhere around one to $1.1 million. Uh, so congratulations to him. That was a great episode. And, and I'm also going to be invested or I also am an investor in that. So I will keep everyone looped in. I think it's a really exciting project. Has a lot of upside and and um, obviously a good co-founder CEO. So that is a little bit a little bit of an exciting thing that I have to look forward to for the future. I like it. So this was a fun uh, catch up. I'm, I'm I'm glad we we did this. If you guys like these type of. Uh you know, kind of quarterly updates, let us know in the comments or in the Boss Lounge. If you guys haven't joined the Boss Lounge yet, just go to investlikeaboss.com, click on bonus, and you can see how you can join there. It's our free Facebook group where people give really, really good detailed information. So we actually have much smarter people in the lounge than Samurai. So um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's not only will we kind of chip in with with our thoughts and maybe link you to a resource, but you know, past guests, um, you know, are on there all the time kind of, uh, helping out. So definitely join that. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Make sure you guys join the group as well. A lot of people are, are, there's a page that we publish the new episodes on, uh, but make sure you join the private group. Johnny and I will be happy to let you in. And like Johnny said, a lot of times we stay out of the comments because people commenting are a lot smarter than us. But we have a lot of fun in there. Uh, it's a daily conversation, and uh, we invite you all to join. Yeah, I love it. So I want to give a quick shout-out to everyone who's been leaving f- these awesome five-star reviews of the podcast. It's, it's basically the best way that you guys can help us spread the word. We, we, we just love it. Uh, so this month, we've had a ton, actually. Uh, Sam, I just sent you a link in your in your Skype if you want to take a look at one, but I'll go ahead and go first. This one is from Solist. What's not to like? Five stars. Sam is one of the brothers. Johnny is a wonder kid continuing his journey. Two seemingly normal guys taking the bore out of investing and adding a sprinkle of infotainment. Great stuff. On a side note, Sam, you're in pretty good shape. Please share a quick overview of your general fitness routine and how important do you think fitness is for success? Sam, what, what, you want to answer that real quick? <laughs> I'm flattered. Okay, so my fitness routine is four cups of coffee scattered throughout 8 a.m. till 2, and then usually wine uh, from 2 p.m. till 8 p.m., followed by uh, a very fast three-quarters of a mile run. Um, that's not too far off, actually. But, yeah, I don't really do that much. I do push-ups and sit-ups you know, two or three times a week. But other than that, I just don't eat that much. Drink a lot of coffee, a lot of water, and um, 
a little bit of sunshine never hurts. But anyways, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. And I'll actually vouch that, you know, Sam, is, you've been very consistent with, with your workouts or, you know, even if it's just push-ups, when we were traveling across Eastern Europe, and we'd be in like this tiny hotel room where there's no room, you know, to even stand. You would be doing push-ups, and that kind of kept me on the mark as well. Because I remember every time you you did push-ups, I I thought, man, I, I should probably do some as well. So I think that consistency is really key. So solace, if you listen to this, yeah. stay consistent. You know, whatever you do, even if it's not the craziest workout in the world, as long as you're consistent, that's when you do well. And when you fall off the wagon like I did, and and it, you don't work out for four months while traveling in Europe. That's when you become a fat ass like I've been. But now that I'm back, you're gonna be saying uh, you're gonna be asking me for fitness advice in a few months. <laughs> it is so easy to get sloppy when traveling, man. Every day, just drinking beer, eating fried food. My whole journey in Europe, like you departed, I guess September or something. I continued on until Oktoberfest, and so my whole journey capped off of just like four days of Oktoberfest, just chugging beer i just felt like such a pig afterwards but yeah good to get back into routine so i'll read one more review this podcast has been highly effective in helping me learn the foundations of investing i revisit episodes almost daily as it's helping me to learn the language of business it plays a major role in helping me obtain my mba however i recommend to everyone thanks guys for putting together such a great podcast cheers that is from jake ostra in the united states five-star review much appreciated jake and I will say, like, I'm right now listening to The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham, which is one of the most highly sought and read and touted investment books in history. Warren Buffett says it's the best book written about investing ever. And, dude, it's just so boring to get through. I mean, the one great thing that I love about Money Mastered Again by Tony Robbins is a lot of the information is the same as Intelligent Investor, but it's 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 presented in such a more fun, interactive way, right? It gets you, it gets you excited about it. The intelligent investor, I literally am, am halfway through and I'm having so much trouble getting through it. So if you guys have ideas on how we can make this more fun, things you want us to talk about, guests you want us to have on the show, if you want us to try to bring back drinking as a routine of the podcast, let us know. We're always happy to hear suggestions and um, we're really here to, to have fun and, and of course to learn. But uh, when we started the podcast, it was to learn and have fun so we'll try to keep that a narrative of the podcast all right sounds good and i will see all of you guys next week sam enjoy mexico hasta luego buddy hasta luego peace out thanks for listening to the best like a boss podcast join our mailing list at investlikeaboss.com to get exclusive access to our insider investment portfolios and our private members forum if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe on itunes or your favorite podcast app Tell your friends and leave us a review in the iTunes store. It helps more than you know. See you guys next week.